You are listening to a repeat of the Ask a Lawyer show. Therefore, please do not call or text in as any announcements made uh, may not be applicable. Assalamu alaikum and welcome listeners to the Ask Your Lawyer show. Yes, I am back. The summer holidays are over and I am your host, Atik Malik, Director of Liberty Law Solicitors and your host for the Ask Your Lawyer show uh, for quite a while now. Uh, today we are going to be doing a mini toolkit show, but rather than me speaking, we have got a uh, guest uh, in the studio, a employment law specialist. Would you like to introduce yourself, please? Assalamualaikum. My name is Bodrul Amin. I'm an employment law specialist with Liberty Law Solicitors. Brilliant. And um, we are going to be discussing a topic of employment law today. This is a uh, live show. You can see us on Facebook Live, see who's in the studio, interact with us um, using the tag Inspire FM Luton. Uh, you can also interact with us on other social media such as Twitter, WhatsApp. For WhatsApp, uh, you need to use the number 0779 That's 0779481822. Uh, you can also use that number to message in with any comments or questions you might have. Uh, you can also call the studio 01582 481822. That's 01582 481822. And make this your show. Uh, it's a live show. So any questions that you might have on employment law feel free to call in and uh, see if there's any way we can help you assist you shed some light on any of the issues that you are suffering from so uh, Bodrun what are we discussing today today we're going to discuss uh, what is known commonly as a settlement agreement uh, previously known as a compromise agreement brilliant okay so that's what we're discussing today so we're discussing what is a settlement agreement what was it known as previously? Um, how does it work? Why is it necessary in employment law to have settlement agreements? What are the requirements of a settlement agreement? What takes you um, uh, uh, into the realm of a settlement agreement? What situations would mean that you might need one? Um, and what are the best practices if you have that situation? And then stemming from that, we're also going to discuss, depending on how much time we have left, what sort of claims can arise out of um, or in and around a settlement agreement that person needs to be aware of. And these are all related to uh, the employment law, um, what employers need to know and what employees need to know. What are your options? So if you've been approached by your employer or you as an employer are thinking about um, approaching an employee in respect of a settlement agreement of any type, please feel free to give us a call directly if you wish on the uh, old number, the studio number of 01582481822, or you can message in on 0779481822, or you can WhatsApp on that same number, or you can come onto Facebook Live, see us on there, and post whatever questions you may have. Okay, so Bodrill, you said something about settlement agreements, you then said something about compromise agreements. Uh, which one is it and what changed and how does it all work? What is a settlement agreement? Well, so, settlement agreement is where the employer and the employee have reached a mutually um, agreed um, decision to terminate the employee's uh, contract of employment. Uh, now, the, there's different circumstances in which 
that can arise. For example, um, the employee might be subject to a performance review plan, uh, or there could be potential redundancy situation arising, or the employee, you know, might have made a complaint about discrimination. So, in order to um, in order to bring the uh, employment contract to an end, often employers will offer the settlement agreement. So a settlement agreement is whereby um, the employee receives a compensation payment and in return agrees to waive their rights uh, to bring a claim both now and in the future. And that is all contained within the settlement agreement, which is effectively a contract between the employer and an employee recording the terms of the um, of of bringing this um, employment situation to an end. Okay, brilliant. So with um, uh, settlement agreements, why would you bother with a settlement agreement, first of all? I mean, as an employee, I'll give you an example, which is, this is a common example that we get. People often call up um, either before or after event and describe a situation like this to me. So a situation comes up where an employee is not getting on well with the employer and the employer calls him into the office and says, look, it's not working out, okay? Just go away, you leave, and I'll give you a couple of months' salary, right? And here's a document, just sign this to confirm that you accept this money and that you won't bring any claims against us. Employee signs it, takes the money, and is gone. First of all, tell me, why is that problematic for an employee to do that? It's problematic for an employee to do that because with a settlement agreement, um, you need to get legal advice. Um, and it's essential that you get legal advice because effectively you're waiving your rights to bring a claim both now and in the future. Um, so you could be waiving your rights to bring uh, quite a significant claim. Uh, for example, if you have a claim for discrimination, um, as you were, Teek, there's, there's no limit in terms of compensation for discrimination claim. So if you did have a complaint about discrimination and the employer just approached you and just said to you, you know, Mohammed, he's a few months salary, um, signed the agreement and, and that's the end of it. You know, effectively you could be waiving your rights to bring uh, a, cl- a claim for compensation, which could be worth tens of thousands of pounds. Right. So you've lost that opportunity there where you might think you've got a claim. You haven't taken legal advice and you signed away a potential huge claim for something nominal and quite small. That's right, exactly. And one of the, the requirements, therefore, of a, of a settlement agreement is that you obtain legal advice. And within that settlement agreement, there should be a payment for your legal fees. Who says that requirement is there? What do you mean? But I don't understand that. Who says there's a requirement for legal advice? Is that your best practice advice or is that... Some other sort of requirement? Well, that, that requirement is contained within various uh, legislation. For right. example, Employment Rights Act. There are other, also other different parts of legislation, Equality Act. Um, there, there's probably actually, in effect, probably about 15 to 20 different legislation which right. uh, refers to um, that you, you obtain legal advice uh, because, like I said, you could be waiving your rights to quite substantial um, compensation. So it's very important that you know so what... This legislation- that says all of this um, the government's introduced this so what have they said that for us uh, in in what context how they implemented this legislation what have they said um, to you know 
entities in the UK. It's for UK only, isn't it? Really? Yeah. So basically, in order for a settlement agreement to be a legally binding agreement, right, it needs to be in writing. Yes. A, uh, B, all, all the parties need to sign the agreement. Yeah. Okay. And and C, you need to obtain legal advice on that agreement. Now, le- legal. So that's a nice, nice, clean bullet points there. So let me run through that again. Yeah. So for a settlement agreement to be legally binding in this country for between employer and employee, mm-hmm. it needs to be in writing. Mm-hmm. It needs to have um, advice given upon it by independent solicitor to the employee. Independent legal advice. So yeah. that could to be, the employee, yeah, yeah, to the employee. And the last bit is it has to be signed and agreed by all parties. Yeah, it has to be signed and agreed by all parties. Excellent. It's only when, um, often you'd see the settlement agreement, it's got a term on the, which says without prejudice and subject to contract. That basically means it's off the record until it's signed by all parties. Excellent. When it's signed so by all parties, that's when it becomes a legally binding contract. So what I'll do, very shortly, I'll yeah. go into the details of what exactly is without prejudice. Yeah. And in what situations may employees or employers come across that term in everyday work mm-hmm. and then applying that to settlement agreement. So we'll do that shortly. Yeah. But just to touch holding on this point. Mm-hmm. So a very clean formula here. For a settlement agreement to be legally binding, it has to be in writing. It has to be um, approved or advised upon to the employee mm-hmm. uh, by independent solicitor. And um, it has to be signed by all parties to the agreement. That's right. And this lister as well? Yeah. So um, uh, the with independent legal advice, it can be uh, it can be a solicitor. Most of the time, it is a solicitor. Sometimes, if you if you're with a trade union, it can be a certified trade union officer. Uh, but usually, most of the time, it's uh, it's a solicitor. But correct uh, me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Is there also required within the same legislation? That whoever signs, whether it's a solicitor or a trade union rep, yeah. they don't. So, for example, we have many solicitors in this country, mm-hmm. but not all solicitors fit the criteria, do they, to sign that document? Isn't yeah. that correct? So, because even for the solicitors or the trade union rep signing it, there's a criteria for that, isn't that's there? That's right, yeah. What's so, the if, we, if we go into it deeper, there's a criteria. So, the criteria is solicitors sign it um, has to confirm that they're independent. Yes. So, there's no way they're associated with the employer or acting for the employer in any way. Um, they need to also um, um, confirm that they're a solicitor of the senior courts of England and Wales. Yeah. So, they need to hold a current practicing certificate. Which is very important because you know sometimes solicitors don't have a current practicing certificate, and there needs to be in place indemnity or insurance. So, example, if um, if there is a claim, then there is insurance in place. So the employee, um, for example, that example that you gave, um, you know, someone was to sign away their 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 rights in that situation, potentially there's a negligence claim there. Against and then it's been against solicitor, yeah, against the advisor, because um, you wouldn't advise somebody in that situation potentially to sign that agreement. Yeah. And um, um, you know, if he did, and potentially there's a negligence claim there. So there needs to be in place indemnity or insurance, which covers the risk of a claim being brought by the employee. And so, from interpreting that, <laughs> a, a deeper meaning that I've I've extracted from what you said and from looking at the legislation myself. Well, basically, it means that the solicitor who's advising you cannot just be a solicitor on the high street. It has to be someone who does that area of law. Absolutely. Who knows that area of law. And therefore, they are currently practicing in that area of law, hence the passage of the curve. 
and therefore they have got insurance policy in place not just a professional indemnity insurance policy but it has to be specifically one that covers covers employment law advice is that correct that's right yeah, yeah. it's absolutely essential so, that you 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 approach an employment specialist because i've known people who have just gone to a, a solicitor mm. on the high street someone that they know uh, and that person just sort of read through the agreement with them and asked them to sign it and they've signed it off and they've completed the advice certificate uh, it's essential that you approach an employment solicitor because the employment solicitor uh, will not just go through the terms and conditions of that um, settlement agreement. They will also advise you whether it's reasonable in the circumstances. So, for example, that discrimination claim, um, if, only, if you're only receiving a few months' um, notice, which you would have received in any event, and you decide to waive your way your rights in that situation, then potentially you're waiving your, away your rights to, to uh, compensation that you could receive, which could be worth tens of thousands of pounds you know it could be worth 50,000 pounds it could be worth 100,000 pounds there's no limit on discrimination claims um, so that's why an employment solicitor will be able to um, get the background information from you and then advising that situation whether it's reasonable in the circumstances for you to um, sign that agreement or not and then it's up to you to decide what you want to do that's right so with with the um, specialist um as you said, people can just go to the high street, you've got that issue there. Um, and really, you'd only have indemnity insurance covering you for employment law advice if you did employment law. Isn't that correct? I mean, if you didn't do employment law, you wouldn't have cover for it because you wouldn't have told your, as a solicitor, told your insurers, or oh, can you insure me for this as well? Because you'd be paying a higher premium. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because, like I said, there's there's a risk there mm. of an employee bringing a claim because they've been wrongly advised, uh, and a solicitor will only have the appropriate amount of insurance in place to cover that risk. Yeah. So that's the criteria there. So just pausing on my example, a little bit of analysis now. <laughs> employer calls employee into a room, gives them a document to some, just a couple of paragraphs, basically saying, "I accept this money in front of final settlement." and I agree not to bring any claims against the company to sign it off, mm. nominal of a couple of grand or something. Mm. But it hasn't complied. That document does not comply with um, what you just said is mm. a legislation for settlement agreements. Mm. So if it doesn't comply, has the employer just opened himself up and given away free money because the employee could still bring back, come back and say, well, my claims aren't waived. I never received independent legal advice. None of the legislation was satisfied. Document confirms that, and therefore I'm still bringing a claim. Is that possible? Potentially, yeah. Uh, mm. Potentially, yeah. So if he hasn't met the requirements yeah. um, set out by statute, then potentially it's not a uh, a, a binding agreement as such. Yeah. Um, so therefore, the employee uh, could then potentially bring a claim and say, "Well, you know, you haven't satisfied the requirements of a settlement agreement, and this agreement um, is effectively not worth the paper that it's written on." Um, so there is that risk, yeah, if you're an employer and you haven't followed the correct procedure. And actually, it's surprisingly how often that can happen yeah. uh, because often employers don't know what the requirements are. Um, so they just sort of look on the, yeah, look money, on the yeah. internet. Look What's the point <laughs> of going to a lawyer? I'll give him the money. Yeah. He'll sign this document saying he's not going to sue me. What's he going to do? He can't yeah. come back to me. But it's not as easy as that, is it? Of course. There's shortcuts by the employer to save a few hundred pounds of legal advice of a 
properly drafted document. Yeah. I mean, it's not worth it. Putting aside the other issues that can arise, which I will go into shortly, mm -hmm. but simply on the basis of legally binding, you already have failed, haven't they? That's correct, that? yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things out there on the internet and then, you know, people don't realise um, and then they, you know, copy and paste things together. Well, let's move on to that. So yeah. first of all, we identified, we're focusing on employers for a second now, my listeners. <laughs> but first of all, we've identified that if you take that shortcut mm -hmm. and don't get legal advice, you save yourself a few hundred pounds, mm -hmm. you just open yourself up, potentially giving away free money because the document, as you said quite nicely, is not what the paper is written on because it's not legally binding because it doesn't satisfy the most basic requirement of the the bullet points you set out first. That mm -hmm. has to um, have a provision where the person has received independent legal advice before they've um, signed it and to prove that, the independent advisor has to sign it too. That's right? correct, yeah. So you've already identified that. Yeah. So we already failed that, right? Let's take it a step further. <laughs> so an employer who's listening thinks, okay, no problem. I'll just download this settlement agreement off the internet. I'll just use that. It's only words. I mean, I often see this. Mm. It's only words. How difficult can it be? I don't yeah. want to pay a lawyer. What's the point? I'll just do it myself. I'll copy and paste, delete a few paragraphs if I need to. Yeah. I'll just do that. Mm. What is the problem with that? Well, the problem with that is, like we alluded to earlier, if it doesn't meet the requirements, if it's missing essential parts, then effectively it's not... Um, you know, it's not worth the, the paper it's written on. The other thing as well, in terms of an employer, um, the whole basis of a settlement agreement is really effectively there to protect the employer. Uh, mm. Because of That's a very good point. Because yes. you're waiving your rights to bring a claim. So if you're an employer, uh, you want to make sure that that agreement is watertight. Um, so, you know, if it doesn't have the requisite parts, and, you know, people often do that with contracts of employment and um, with with other agreements, is a copy and paste information. But if it's missing, you know, certain essential parts, then, you know, effectively it's uh, it's not a binding agreement. So employer might say, why was why is it missing parts? I've downloaded it. It's obviously somebody else who's used it. It was fine for them. Why would an agreement which is fine for another business not be fine for me? Well, the thing is, we, um, you know, I advise uh, many employees on settlement agreements. And, you know, often even when dealing with big law firms and big companies, there are things that are missing in an in a agreement which we pick up. And then we have to pick it up with the um, the employer's representatives and say, well, you failed to include this or failed to mention this. Um, so, um, you know, just because it's on the internet, someone's used it, doesn't mean to say that it's correct. And sometimes what happens is the um, legislation changes. Um, yeah. And, for example, there was a recent update in April, just of April 2018, talking about a few months ago. Um, which is quite an important update. Probably allude, you know, probably um, go through that later on. Um, so things are always changing um, with with law with, with legislation. So something could be out of date. Well, why don't you touch on the update now and we'll go to more detail? What was the update? Yeah. So effectively, um, with uh, certain agreements, um, the first thirty thousand pounds of a certain agreement is paid with that deduction of tax and national insurance which is contained in an act called the Income Tax um, 
Earning a Pension, Earning Act. And Pensions Act 2003. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was IT yeah, 2003. So in that uh, legislation, basically states that the first £30,000 of any settlement agreement is tax-free. Yeah. Uh, and the reason behind that is to really encourage settlement rather than people going to tribunal and in order to save employees' employees' time and money. Um, with your notice period... Um, a lot of the time with a settlement agreement, you are paid your notice period uh, in advance. So you don't work your notice period. You, you're so paid that. So that's called payment in lieu. It's called payment What's in lieu. What's the acronym for that? It's PILON, um, which is pay, payment in lieu of notice. Brilliant. Prior to April 2018, if your contract of employment didn't have a PILON clause, then that could be paid without deduction of tax and national insurance. Which is a massive increase. I mean, yeah. how much of a increase in money is that roughly for somebody in percentage that, that's huge because you know you're talking about 20 percent basic 20, rate taxpayer plus national insurance yeah you know it could so be more depending if you're a higher rate taxpayer you pay 40 percent high rate so someone on a hundred grand salary free month salary is yeah. going to be a substantial amount of money yeah tax-free tax-free yeah, yeah. uh but in April 20, um, 2018, that changed um, government um, amended legislation, uh, which basically means that now all pylon or pay in lieu of notice is taxable. So if your employer is paying your tax, I'm um, sorry, your notice period um, without you working your notice, then that is now taxable and you pay tax on it. So I suppose we're looking at it now, this is the way I'm thinking, is previously we used to get situations where all employees were getting... All they were getting under a settlement agreement mm. for waiving all the employment rights was the notice pay lump sum. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I used to say to people, well, there's not much value in that because mm. you could work that notice and still get the same money. Economically, mm. it doesn't make any big difference to you. Mm. And after a lot of toing and froing, we'd get the employer to agree, okay, we'll do it tax-free because mm. of the situation you just mm. described. Where there's no provision in the contract of employment for a payment loop notice, also known as a pylon. And at least in that situation, you could then be satisfied, okay, there is some value. You might not be getting um, an additional settlement sum, but at least you're not having to work in notice period of three months. You're released immediately. You can get another job straight mm-hmm. away, yeah. and you're getting it tax-free. So that adds to it. Yeah. My personal opinion, I don't know what you think about this, Bodrug, is that now with that new law, if all an employer is giving to an employee is just a notice pay, and there's no question of it being tax-free now. It has to be taxed. So whether mm-hmm. you work it, you're getting taxed. If you're not working and you get a settlement agreement, you still get taxed. Mm-hmm. But in the absence of any other settlement sum, there's very little benefit there, then, isn't it, for an employee just for taking that? That's right, yeah. If if you're only being offered, effectively, your notice period, then there's very little um, incentive for you to agree to a settlement agreement because apart from gross misconduct, most other sort of termination of employment, you're entitled to your notice period. Anyway. Yeah. So, for example, a redundant situation, you'd get your notice period because it's a contractual benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say, let's just say your employers put you in a performance well, plan. Well, two things, isn't it? Yeah. It's a statutory entitlement, mm-hmm. which is also supplemented by the contractual benefit, isn't it? So That's you've got right. a statutory minimum that you are definitely entitled to. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, the contract employment may give you an enhanced payment on notice. That's right, yeah. The statutory entitlement is one week for each year of service up to a maximum of 12 weeks. Um, but 
usually sometimes people will have um, three months notice period as standard as per the contract. Well, uh, senior directors senior directors can have six six months, sometimes twelve six months, months twelve months. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not uncommon for senior director or someone in a senior <laughs> post. CEO or See, yeah, like, yeah, because it takes them uh, an employer a long time to recruit to that position. Um, so if you, if you're only receiving your notice period. Um, like I said, it, apart from gross misconduct in in many employment situations, whether it's redundancy, whether you put on a performance plan, you're entitled to your notice period. Even if your employer says, you know, you've you've you know failed to meet the standards required, you've gone through a, a performance plan, they still have to provide you with notice. Um, so. If all you're receiving is a notice period, there's very little incentive um, for you to sign an agreement. And that's the reason why you would get specialist employment advice, because anyone advising in that situation will say, well, look, well, look, that's where specialist problem like, we're yeah. able to identify yeah. exactly the, as you said already, and we and, uh, and forgive me for labouring this quote. Is it worth the paper is written on? But it, it, this is the situation where that is more evident than any other situation. I mean. Only a specialist in this field will be able to tell you whether what you're getting is really all you should be getting or should you be getting more than this. That's right, yeah. If someone came to me and they explained their background and they said, well, you know, this has happened to me at work, um, you know, it could be discrimination, it could be a potential unfair dismissal, we can put an approximate value and we can say, well, you know, if you went to tribunal and you won, then approximately this is what you could be looking at as a compensation. And also you put approximate value on what it would cost them to get to that state. Exactly, yeah. And the level of risk associated with it. That's right, yeah, because um, the advantages of a um, settlement agreement is that um, um, instead of going to tribunal, you know, you're getting that money in hand, um, you know, effectively in a, in a straight away. You know, there's a certain amount of time that employee will, will pay you that amount. But, you know, the uh, problems with, with tribunal claims is that, you know, it, it's a lengthy process. Uh, you'd have to pay your own legal fees unless you had some legal protection insurance or, or, or some cover in place. And there's no guarantee that you'd win at the end of it. So those are the risks. Sometimes you have to balance out whether the risk... Uh, and the benefit that you've got. Um, really well put. I'm going to go into more detail on that hopefully after mm-hmm. break too. Unfortunately, we have come to the end of the first part of the show. It's amazing how quick time flies. Don't you think, Bodrum? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's the end of the show. Look, people, any questions or comments you might have on this topic of law, feel free to comment or call in in the interim. We'll see you on the other side. Um, Salaam alaikum. Be inspired. Inspire FM. And welcome back to the Ask Your Lawyer Show. I'm your host, Atik Malik, Director of Liberty Law Solicitors, and we are discussing today employment law settlement agreements. My guest on the show today is Mr. Bodrul Amin. Mr. Amin, would you like to introduce yourself? Assalamualaikum. My name is Bodrul Amin. I'm an employment solicitor with Liberty Law Solicitors. Thank you very much. Um, this is a live show, so you can call in on 01582-481822. That's 01582-481822. You can also text in on 0779-481822. That's 0779-481822. You can also message by WhatsApp on that same number. And also see us on Facebook Live. Interact with us via social media, Facebook, with the tag Ispar Affair 
Luton. So please feel free to call in and make it your show. It always, you know, gets a, it gets quite good when people call in and challenge us with a few tasty questions. So yeah, it'd be good to hear from you. Now, we're discussing settlement agreements. So in the first part of the show, um, we discussed the basic ingredients of what is a settlement agreement and why it's necessary to have. Um, I've got a question for you, Bodman. Mm-hmm. So just leading on from what we were discussing before, that if um, an employer takes a sample agreement off the internet and tries to use it, and one of the questions was, why wouldn't that be suitable? And, uh, and you've explained um, why that wouldn't be, because it might be suitable for someone else, not necessarily for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, you don't know if it is suitable or not until it's tested. It might be that person never had an issue, and the, the actual agreement never got tested. Mm-hmm. But if an issue arises, I suppose, and it goes to court and it's tested. Mm-hmm. My other thought, thing I've, uh, thought of was, well, as with most agreements, the reason a solicitor has a consultation is to determine that entity, so in the case of employment law, the employer's um, unique attributes, I suppose, because not, no two businesses are necessarily the same, are they? Everyone might have different makeup or different needs and requirements. Is that correct? What do you think? Yeah, because with a, with a settlement agreement, <clears throat> um, you'll have the determination payment or you know compensation payment, but you also have uh, the background. You know, you know, it won't go into details about what happened, but it set out the background. Um, it also set out what the um, employee is entitled to contractually. So, for example, um, oh, it should point, it should yeah. state the holiday pay. Um, it should state, um, you know, what the notice period they're going to receive, um, and any other contractual benefits, for example, um, you know, for health insurance, private health care, um, um, you know, shares. Yeah, restricted covenant shares. And how important is that? Restricted covenant very important because why is that? What is restricted covenant? Right, why restri- is it important? And yeah. How would you look for it? So restricted covenants are basically restrictions. Once you leave employment with, with the um, employer, um, it's restrictions in place, um, rarely to protect the employer. So, for example, um, who you could you could be who you could work for. Um, so it could be a restriction on competitors. So you you won't um, be able to work for a competitor. It could be restrictions in so terms in terms of who and yeah. where. It could be yeah, who, where. So there could be a territorial restriction. Such as, uh, for example, you can't work you know for for a competitor within the London region. Um, so you know there could be restrictions on that. Uh, there could be restrictions on um, you know things like confidential information that you've acquired. Um, very important if you are opening your own business, then there could be restrictions on you taking clients from the current uh, employer. Taking clients, anything else? Um, Acting or speaking to? Yeah, so uh, employees as well. Um, so if you open a business, you can't take any employees, um, suppliers. Suppliers. Um, so you know these are a lot of different categories. A lot of different categories depends also how senior you are. There could be more restrictions depending on. So one example of that yeah. would be then that a person might have a contract of employment. Now, often this happens in all industries where. Employees sign their contract of employment and never ever look at it ever again. So they actually forget what's in the contract. That's right. Yeah, yeah, right? that's right. Yeah. And then they don't. So, so they get a settlement agreement. They don't get it checked properly by a specialist. Mm-hmm. Nobody picks up on the point that the settlement agreement refers to some sort of restricted covenant in this contract that nobody ever looked at for ten years. Mm-hmm. It's lying in the back of your cupboard somewhere, and they sign it all off. And what have they signed themselves off to? 
Well, effectively, um, if there's any restrictions in their contract of employment, then effectively they're um, they're agreeing to those restrictions. So, yeah, so if there's restrictions in that contract and that it makes reference to it in the settlement agreement that the restrictions in your contract still apply after the end of your employment, then those restrictions are in place. So, for example, if you didn't know that you could work, you couldn't work for a competitor, and you ended up um, getting a job with a competitor, you're potentially in breach of that uh, of the agreement. Now, and I suppose the other side of it is mm. that if you're only getting, say, two months' salary, mm. and it should have stop you from working anywhere, yeah. because you're only qualified for one industry mm-hmm. for six months, yeah. then you've got an imbalance, haven't you? Uh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I had an employment contract where I couldn't work for any um, uh, clients of the firm for 12 months, mm. um, which is, you know, quite a significant um, restriction. Yeah. Uh, now... You know, if you came to us, uh, if you came to me and I was to advise you, uh, and then there's two ways of dealing with that situation. One is to have that uh, term removed from the uh, settlement agreement. Uh, that's one way of dealing with it. The the second um, option of dealing with it is to ask for an increased compensation. Yeah. So, okay. Um, right, that's excellent. Uh, we have a, a caller calling, so we need our headphones, which we haven't put on yet. <laughs> okay, so we've got our headphones on. Have you got your headphone on? Okay, so Mr. Amin's putting his headphone on. Is that the correct headphone? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the correct headphone. Okay, so how do I go? Caller, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, excellent. So, who's calling, and what is it? Is it a question or a comment that you have? It's, it's a question. My name's James. Um, since you've been talking about employment uh, and contract, uh, I've got a query myself. I've uh, been employed for six months, and I keep asking for my contract uh, so I can check what should be in there. Uh, I want to claim holiday, for example, and I, I don't know what's inside it, in, inside my contract, but I haven't received my contract. Is there anything I can do about it? Brilliant. Thank you so much for your call in, James. That's an excellent question. Thank you. We'll put that to our panellist, our specialist employment expert, Mr. Bodrul Amin, straight away. Stay tuned. Thank you. Uh, thank you, James. That's a, a good question. So, um, according to the Employment Rights Act, um, the employer uh, should provide you with uh, a contract of employment within two months of commencing employment. Um, if not, potentially they're in breach of the Employment Rights Act. Um, so um, there is a claim that you could bring um, for failure to provide you with the statement of terms. But in the first instance, you should try to um, request the contract employment from your employer. Uh, and then if they you know, continue to um, you know, refuse to provide you with uh, your contract of employment, then... Um, you can you can state that um, they're in breach of the Employment Rights Act, and that potentially um, you could you can bring a standalone claim for that. And there's compensation that you can claim from the Employment Tribunal, um, and I think it is something like uh, five weeks uh, of of your salary that you could you could potentially claim for. Um, so. Yeah, that is the redress uh, available, but obviously, someone who's starting off uh, in a new job, 
you know you don't want to start straight away and go in and and potentially uh take your um employer to employment tribunal so um my so how would you deal with it then well, you wouldn't fir- be the one rock the boat but yeah how would you deal with it well, in the first instance, um, you know, approach, approach your employer. Um, if not, if it's not been resolved, then you might need to take it up further uh, with HR or or senior um, uh, manager within the uh, organisation. Uh, you could potentially raise a grievance. Um, and then failing that, if it's still, um, you know, persisting, then, you know, speak to a, an employment uh, lawyer who will be able to um, advise you on, to, on, on the next steps. Brilliant. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Amin. Okay. So going back to... Yeah, we'll take the headphones off. Yeah, we can lose the headphones. So going back to the um, uh, settlement uh, agreements. Yeah. Um, so we've explained the restricted covenant as one little hiccup mm-hmm. that a person might not pick up. Yeah. Well, from an employer's perspective, he's taken it off the shelf. Mm-hmm. He might want restricted covenants to still apply to protect his business. That's right, yeah. And so, it might not even be in there. Yeah, that's right. So, um, because often the settlement agreement, there is a term in the agreement uh, which... Uh, it effectively states that the agreement supersedes all previous agreements, contracts. That's uh, brilliant. So let's just look at that wording now. Mm-hmm. So it have agreement to the effect that this agreement supersedes all previous agreements, whether written or oral, something along those lines. That's right, yeah. What so, does that mean? Then? So effectively, this is the final agreement. This is right. the final terms between you and the employer. So if you had a contract of employment with restricted covenants um, and there was no mention of that within the set settlement agreement, then the employer would not be able to enforce any settlement agreements. Hence the reason why we go back to the well, discussion we, we had earlier, that employers should seek, because if you're an employer and you've just got an off-the-shelf agreement and you want to have in place restricted covenants uh, and it does, it's not covered in the settlement agreement, then effectively you've waived that because the um, settlement agreement supersedes the previous contract of employment. There's piece of law that I came across. Mm. I'll come back to this supersedes mm. section because I think it's important. But um, I remember a few years ago I was looking into this and there was some case law which said, right, in a settlement agreement, it has to specify precisely what claims in particular are being waived. And if you don't do that, it's a generic blanket, every claim under the sun, mm-hmm. that's less likely to be enforceable. Is that correct? Yeah, there was a. Um, I think there was an EAT ruling um, to that effect. Um, so, therefore, in settlement agreements, there is a section uh, which deals with that uh, and makes it clear that obviously this is uh, waiving your rights to specific claims, which so only a specialist could deal with that. And advise an employer on what what to put in that box. That's right. Yeah, uh, that's right. So there's you know this uh, it, it's drafted in a certain way, um, and it's quite technical. A lot of the the language within a certain number of agreements so is quite if technical. If someone got something off the shelf, yeah, which had every single claim you could ever think of mm. listed, yeah. And not actually specifically identifying particular ones. Yeah. What could the effect of that be? Well, potentially, um, you know, is the, the blanket all coverage uh, might not, you know, apply in that situation. So you have to be careful mm-hmm. um, in terms of how the agreement so is worded. So if it's at a later stage, potentially, it might not be legally binding. It, it might not be legally back binding. To square one again. That's right, yeah. Which I know it brings, keeps bringing us back to the same thing that you've said mm-hmm. at the beginning. But it just reinforces the different angles, the different ways in which it's so technical 
that to ensure it's legally binding from an employer's perspective, you have to get it right. And you can't just, uh, you know, uh, wing it. Uh, now, from the employee's perspective, from the employee's perspective, mm-hmm. what is the importance of those words that this agreement mm-hmm. supersedes all previous agreements, whether oral or in writing? What is the what should an employee take from that? Well, an employee should take that this is the final agreement between right. them and their employer. So whatever's been discussed, whether verbally, whether in email, whatever's been offered, uh, your contract of employment, the settlement agreement supersedes all of those conversations, agreements, contracts you have in place. So it's really important that the settlement agreement is accurate and it covers all um, the things that you're looking f- uh, for it to cover. So I'll give you examples which I've had many times, mm-hmm. employee comes to me set an agreement, I'm going through it, and suddenly says, oh yeah, but by the way, they said they'll sort me out a reference, but it's not written in the agreement. Or oh, by the way, they said they'll give me my bonus as well, but it's not written in the agreement. Is it important for that to be an agreement? Absolutely, it's Why? essential, because um, if the employer then fails to prov- uh, provide you with a reference, and in uh, the law of England or Wales, an employee is not legally required to provide a reference. Um, so if they then fail to provide a reference um, uh, or fail to uh, pay your bonus, then you've got effectively got to redress, because you've waived your rights to bring a claim. Um, so it's important that within the settlement agreement that all of those things are contained. Um, even when it comes to sometimes in holiday, um, with agreements, they'll state the you know we'll, the, the employer will pay um, all holidays accrued. Uh, but you know sometimes that needs to be more specific because you know how many days holidays are you entitled to? Is it the right amount? Uh, because if they fail to pay the correct amount, you've got no redress because you've you've waived your rights. Another term that comes up, and you really mentioned it at the start, in the first part of the show, but I'm going to bring it up again, without prejudice, mm-hmm. sorry to contract. What does without prejudice mean? Why does it? Why is it written on all of these seven agreements? How is the word without prejudice relevant in the context of employment law, and what is a without prejudice discussion? Without prejudice basically means off the record. And our employees will often have a without prejudice conversation with you, whether it's in writing or verbally. Um, and basically what it means is we're having an off the record conversation um, to see whether, uh, you know, we can come to some kind of arrangement uh, without um, affecting their legal rights. Okay. So, um you know, someone might have a, a, a strong claim and the employer will say, well, look, without prejudice, um, y- you know, we appreciate that you might have a strong claim, but, we, you know, we would try to resolve this via a, a settlement. Um, so it's basically not accepting, um, you know, if you went to a tribunal, then you wouldn't be able to produce that conversation uh, with the tribunal and say, well, the employer came to me and said I had a really strong claim. Uh, because effectively that would be an off-the-record conversation. So employers often use that in order to protect themselves because uh, let's just say you don't agree to a settlement um, and you decide to take this to a tribunal, then you'll be relying on all conversations that have taken place with the employer. But you won't be able to rely on it without prejudice conversation because effectively that would be an off-the-record conversation. So both employer-employee can take from that how the importance of that. Now we're yeah. running out of time. We've got three minutes left. I'm yeah. going to ask you two questions mm-hmm. that left a settlement agreement mm-hmm. that I want to ask. Number one, um, I understand settlement agreement benefits the employer mm-hmm. the employees waiving all the employment, all the mm-hmm. employment rights. Mm-hmm. Right? 
when you get an settlement agreement, are there any rights you're looking for which should not be waived? Yeah, very important. So the three things that shouldn't be waived. One is is your uh, uh, rights in terms of pension. Um, so if there's any issues with pensions that you can uh, enforce those rights uh, the second uh, what it refers to what's known as latent personal injury claims so personal injury claims which you're not aware of at the time um, so you know commonly it refers to asbestos and things like that and the third is the rights to enforce the agreement so for example if your employer doesn't pay you the correct sum containing the agreement then you can enforce those rights so those are the three uh important exemptions to when you waive your rights to bring a claim brilliant last one mm-hmm. and then we'll probably run out of time now confidentiality clause specific to the settlement agreement and its terms what 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 is this and how does it work yeah so uh settlement agreement uh the employer would want it to be confidential so usually you're not allowed to disclose to anybody including your future employer uh but there's exemption ex- exemptions to that for example you can disclose it you know there are terms in the agreement whereby you can disclose it to your legal and professional advisors or to your family as long as they maintain the confidentiality confidentiality as well right and so basically where the employee is having negotiation mm-hmm. If they start telling their fellow co-workers, oh yeah, I'm going to have a settlement and this is how much I'm going to get, are they at risk of them breaching the settlement agreement? That's right, yeah. They're at risk of breaching the settlement and then the employer might take the settlement off the table. So it's very important that you um, you maintain confidentiality uh, when well, it comes worst to... worst-case scenario, make them waive their rights and take the money back. That's right, yeah. So that's the worst-case scenario. So it's really important that you keep um, confidential and that obviously that you get legal advice as soon as possible now to be honest with you Bodru, before we set this show up you said to me are we going to have enough time to do this <laughs> uh, well, so, oh, no, are we going to have uh, too much time yeah. but I think you'd be fair to say that we've only just touched on it haven't we that's right we yeah easily have spent another hour on this I think yeah. so much to discuss so people we've only given you a brief snops of seven groups how technical they are and to give you a, a taste of uh, uh, the necessity of it and the technicality of it. If you are faced with anything like this, or you want further advice, clarification, please contact us directly. It's not a problem. Contact us at the studio. We can do another show to discuss it further. You can contact us directly for a consultation. I'll provide the studio or us directly at the firm. Um, but please um, do not hesitate. But thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you, Bodhu Amin, for taking time out for coming up. Thank you. And this will be the end of our show today. So thank you, everyone. Salaam alaikum.
With his infinite power, anything could be done. With his infinite power, anything could be done. Ask Allah for his pardon. Ask Allah for his pardon. And you'll enter the garden. Before him there were none of partners he has none. Before him there were none of partners he has none. He knows what is apparent and what is hidden. He knows what is apparent and what is hidden. All the fate of creation has already been written. All the fate of creation has already been written. His will is always done. يا 
Ya Allah, you're the sovereign, you're the sultan of souls. Ya Allah, you're the sovereign, you're the sultan of souls. Please protect me from shaitan and all of his trees. Please protect me from shaitan and all of his trees. Let him not with his whispers my iman ever weaken. Let him not with his whispers my iman ever weaken. My only wish in this life. My only wish in this life is to attain your pardon.